but his explanation was incomplete. So today, let's look at the good news that is before us in Luke 2. The good news from a glorious God. Now, we just read from beginning in, in verse 1, we know that Joseph and Mary went from Nazareth, they went up, uh, which is in Galilee, and they went to Bethlehem, which is in Judea. The trip was about 70 miles, a little over 70 miles. Bethlehem is on a mountain, and it's about 2,654 feet high. It was not an easy journey. And to give you some kind of uh, comparison to that, Hollister's elevation is 290 feet. So they hiked up over 2,500 feet to get there. And while they're there, Mary gives birth to Jesus. Now understand that in some legends and some myths that while on the way the time came, they were already there when it came time for Mary to give birth. They didn't hide out in a cave and they, they weren't panicking. And they were going there because of the census. And while Mary gives birth to Jesus, she places him in a manger. Now this is not a barn or a stable. It's a feeding trough for animals. You see, in those days, animals were kept inside houses in a large family room. And they kept them there for warmth. Animals would give off warmth. The animals would stay warm. The family would stay warm. But they also were inside to protect them from thieves. They would be inside where they were locked in with the family. So this is, this is not uh, one of those born in a cave, born in a stable type things. But it is significant, and we'll explain a little bit later. Luke switches his narrative then from Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus to the shepherds. And we pick this up in verse 8. It says in verse 8, In the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. The announcement of Jesus' birth was not made to kings or rabbis or priests or people in power to anyone else. It was made to shepherds. Now, shepherds were considered in the lower classes of society. Now, some say that they were a shifty, a worthless lot. They were thieves. They were incapable of testifying in court. They weren't trusted. But that's really kind of a myth. We don't find that anywhere in the Bible. Well, consider what we do know. Zechariah does speak of a worthless shepherd who deserts the flock. Israel's leaders were likened as false shepherds who lead their flock astray. And Jesus speaks of shepherds who are hirelings who abandon the sheep at the first sign of trouble. But there were good shepherds too. Just like there's good police officers, there's good doctors, there's good teachers, there's good lawyers, there's good people in every other job. So we don't look down on shepherds and think that as a class they were a worthless lot. These shepherds were good shepherds. They were up at night. They were doing their job, keeping their eye on the flocks. They weren't lazy. They weren't sleeping. They weren't lying down on the job. And understand that nighttime is a dangerous time. I can tell you from experience, as can every officer that's worked a graveyard patrol shift, predators and thieves come out. Bad things happen at night. These shepherds were doing their job to protect the sheep from these bad things. Now, being shepherd was a difficult job. It required sacrifice. There was hardship involved. And some of them were nomadic. They were moving around. They didn't have a place to live. And it was a very humble existence. Jesus likened himself as the great shepherd in John 10. He sacrificed for his sheep. He wasn't a hireling. 
He knows his sheep, and his sheep know him. He said that foxes have holes and birds have nests, but there was no place for him to lay his head. You see, he too was humble, just like these shepherds. When we look in verse 9, and it says, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. So two things happening, the angel and the glory, and the shepherds were afraid. Now, we often think of angels as these cherubic little things with their little wings and maybe the little bow and arrow and the hearts and all these nice little things coming around. We wear cute little angel pins sometimes and all these things going around. In reality, angels can be pretty terrifying. Cherubim guarded the entrance to the Garden of Eden with a flaming sword. A single angel, one angel, wiped out 185,000 Assyrian warriors in a single night. One angel. It was an angel who appeared to the guards at the tomb of Jesus. These guards, these mighty warriors of Rome, trembled and became like dead men when they saw this angel. Now, there are orders of angels There are archangels. Michael and Gabriel are two of the archangels, and they're the only two angels named in the whole Bible. And these were special messengers of God. They came and and related what God had said. There's myriads of angels. We don't know how many. Mankind is made lower than the angels for a while until we are resurrected to glory. And an interesting thing about angels, they're amazed at the concept of salvation. See, they're not recipients of God's grace as we are. The angels in heaven, they don't need it. They haven't sinned. And God didn't extend grace to the fallen angels. They sinned and they're condemned forever. And they look upon salvation with a curiosity, not just a passing curiosity, but with an amazement at what God has done, an amazement at his grace, an amazement that he would send his son. God would die for his creation. Angels long to look at this. They long to to explore this and to praise God for this. Now, if this weren't enough with just this angel appearing, the glory of the Lord shone around the shepherds. There's this bright light. Now, in the days of Moses... The Israelites saw God's glory, and they were afraid. Sometimes they saw it in a cloud. Sometimes they saw it as fire. They didn't want anything to do with it. They didn't want to approach the mount. The glory reflected off Moses' face. He had to veil his face. At the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus granted Peter, John, and James a glimpse of his glory, and they were terrified. And recall just a few weeks ago when we talked out of Acts 9, the glory of the Lord shone all around Paul and he and his companions fell to the ground. You get an idea of what's playing out here at night with these shepherds. An angel, the glory of the Lord, and they're terrified. It's nighttime, a great light out of darkness. Well, then we look at Luke 2.10. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. 
Immediately, the angel tries to comfort them and calm them. He's not there to enact vengeance. He's not there to do justice. He's not there to hurt them. He's there to bring good news, a joyous news that is for everyone. Paul tells us the gospel is the power of salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, which means the Gentiles. This good news is the gospel of Christ. It translates, it's the same word. It's the first oral gospel given out. I bring you good news of a great joy that will be for all the people. And then the angel explains it in verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now this is not the city of David we know as Jerusalem. But it's the city of David in Bethlehem which is his ancestral home. So here then is a connection to King David. And you'll recall in, in Samuel, 2 Samuel 7, this, God promised an heir to David, an heir who would reign forever, whose kingdom would have no end. And that the coming ruler would be born in Bethlehem was predicted in Micah 5, 7. If the shepherds were versed in any kind of prophecy, if they knew anything of the, the Holy Scriptures, this would mean something to them. The requirement of the coming Messiah had been met. Born in Bethlehem. Connected an ancestor, King David. So the angel has announced that this is the long-awaited Savior. Now, Savior means deliverer. Israel had been oppressed by her enemies because of her sin. Sometimes we hear about poor Israel, poor Israel. They were in sin. They forsook God. They offered sacrifices to idols. They burnt their babies to idols. They didn't praise God as he called for them to praise him. So because of her sin, God sent a curse and he, was oppressed, he oppressed them with their enemies. And they had long been looking for their deliverer because God had also promised a deliverer would come. Their savior would come to them. But you see, this deliverer did not come only to free them from their enemies. This deliverer came to deliver man from his sins and from the penalties of sin. We know that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we know that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. In 1 Timothy, Paul tells us, this is the reason Jesus came into the world, to save sinners. This was his purpose. This was God's plan. And this is the same thing the angel told Joseph in a dream, if you recall. As Michael read from Matthew. The Samaritans recognized this when they called him the savior of the world, if you remember the woman at the well. And this is why his birth is good news for all people. Now, if that weren't enough, the angel goes on to identify the child as Christ the Lord. The Greek word for Christ, Christos, is the same as the Hebrew word for Messiah. And it means the anointed one. It's a title. It's not a name. The Christ. Think of Peter in Mark 8, 29. Jesus asks him who the disciples say he is. And Peter says, you are the Christ. 
There is only one. You are the Christ. The Israelites were looking forward to the coming of the Lord's anointed. We find this in Ezekiel. We find this in Jeremiah. And then notice that the angel refers to the baby as Christ the Lord. The angel was telling the shepherds that this is God himself. So here we have the gospel announcement given by the angel. The long-awaited Messiah has come to earth. He is God himself, and this is good news. Galatians 4.4 tells us that this happened at just the right moment in human history. When conditions were as God wanted them to be. If you look at the political conditions, if you look at the religious conditions, if you look at the cultural conditions, this was all part of God's plan. And he arranged this and caused this to happen at just the right moment. Well, then we look at Luke 2.12. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. The angel tells them how they will recognize the baby. Swaddled. Now that's not unusual in those days. Mothers swaddled their babies. But lying in a manger. Moms did not put their babies in feeding troughs. Today we don't put our babies in feeding troughs. We may swaddle them but we don't put them in feeding troughs. So this is setting Jesus aside. And as I said, contrary to what you may have heard, he wasn't born in a stable. The reason he was in this room, the reason that he was put in this this manger was because all the crowds had come there, they couldn't find a separate room. In some of the houses in Bethlehem at the time, they had a large room that was set for the family where they did the cooking and the eating and the family gathered together. And they had an inset trough for the large animals. The large animals would come from a lower room and eat out of that. And then a few steps down, they had a smaller room for the smaller animals, like the sheep and the goats. And they had their own trough to eat out of. A lot of times it was just inset into the ground. Other times it was raised up. Could have been a wooden structure. But then there was another part of the house that was a room that was a separate room set aside. These would have been the guest rooms when others would come. And in Israelite tradition, in the Jewish tradition in those days, nobody would put out a pregnant woman. They would not make a woman sleep in a cave. They would not make a pregnant woman have her baby in a barn. That would be contrary to everything they believed when it came to hospitality. Think back on Lot. Okay, when the angels came and they stayed at Lot's house and the men of Sodom wanted to come out and, 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 and deal with these angels and Lot said, no, take, take, take my daughters. Hospitality, protecting your guests was of high import. So they weren't turned out into the streets but there was not a separate room for them. So they stayed in the large room with the family. This means there was no privacy for Mary, for Joseph, or for baby Jesus. But it doesn't mean they were out in the cold. And notice the parallel between verse 12 and verse 8. See, we know there are other babies born around at that time because Herod killed them. We we see that in Matthew 2.16. And what Mary had done, the angels reported. She had the baby, wrapped him in the cloth, and put him in the manger. And this is exactly what the angels reported. There could be no mistaking who the baby Jesus was. The angels had a clear direction, 
They knew who they were looking for. And then there's another amazing thing that happens, and we read it in verses 12 and 13. I'm sorry, 13 and and 14. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Not just one angel, a multitude of angels. How many is a multitude? Yeah, a lot. I, I, I don't know. I don't know what a multitude is. According to Revelation 5.11, there are myriads and myriads and thousands and thousands of angels. So there's not just a few. And it's not just a small choir. Three or four angels. And I have to think that if there were that many angels praising God, the sound had to be deafening. It had to be overwhelming. And you have the glory of God shining around them. Think of the majesty that is there. The praise being given to God by all these angels. Just looking up and seeing suddenly they're all praising God. This is unprecedented in scripture. We've never had, we never read about an appearance by an unknown, untold number of angels all praising God at the same time. And they said, glory to God in the highest. They were ascribing him the utmost glory. God the Son, eternal, omnipotent, had just come to the earth as a man, taking on human nature. We can see from what they said that he is still God. He's also man. Fully God, fully man. Born of a woman. This is what the angels are telling us. And they said, on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, what is this peace? And who is this peace for? Many in the world interpret this as a time of goodwill. And we see that. We have calls to put down our arms, to have ceasefires, to do nice things for each other, to mend relationships. It's Christmas time. Consider what it, when we say peace on earth, what that really means. Does it mean an end to hostilities? On September 30th, 1938, British Prime Minister Neville Chamberlain announced that an Anglo-German agreement meant that there would be no hostilities between Nazi Germany and Great Britain. He said that he believed it was peace for our time. Less than one year later, Germany invaded Poland and World War II started. Mankind has not been at peace with each other since the first murder occurred when Cain slew his own brother Abel. And we continue to have wars. There is no peace among nations. There's no peace in communities. There's no peace in government. There are neighborhoods where there's no peace. There are families where there is no peace. There are marriages where there is no peace. Yet the world calls for peace during Christmas. But what type of peace is it? They're calling for a man-made peace. But without Christ, peace does not last. Twice Isaiah writes that there is no peace for the wicked. And we know that the world is a wicked place. Paul told the Ephesians not to walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Those people are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. 
He told the Colossians that they were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds. This is not the peace the angels proclaimed. They did not proclaim a man-made peace or peace among men, men having goodwill for each other. The angels were proclaiming a different and a better peace. They were proclaiming peace between God and man. Colossians 1, 19 through 20 says, For in him, meaning Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 19 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. No longer are we enemies of God. No longer do we war with God. But we have been adopted as sons, and this through Christ. And it is Christ who gives us peace with others. A few weeks ago, Pastor Ron preached a message that Jesus was our peace. And you remember the passage, Ephesians 2, 11 through 20, and particularly verse 14 that says, For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Now here Paul was talking about the dividing wall between the Jews and the Gentiles, and the Gentiles couldn't go into portions of the temple. But the same principle applies to all of our relations. Absent from Jesus, there is no peace. But with Jesus, marriages are healed. Relationships are restored. Selfish hostilities are put aside. Before there can be peace horizontally, there must be peace vertically. We cannot hope to have peace if we don't first have peace with God. Do you long for your marriage to be better? Look to Jesus. Do you desire to reestablish connection with family and friends that have long ago fallen apart? Look to Jesus. Do you want to start, stop fearing the future and everything that it portends? Do you want peace? Look to Jesus. In Isaiah, we're told that he is the prince of peace. And it all starts with this peace between God and man that the angels were proclaiming. And this is what's reflected by the words we just sang, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, was written by Charles Wesley in 1739. Think about these words. I gotta tell you, as I, was, as I was preparing this, it brought tears to my eyes, and it brought tears singing this again when I really thought on what this hymn, this Christmas carol was telling us. Hark, the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth. And mercy's mild, God and sinners reconciled. Joyful, all ye nations rise. Join the triumph of the skies with angelic hosts proclaim Christ is born in Bethlehem. You have the message in this passage in Luke right there in that first verse in Hark the Herald Angels Sing. The world thinks of this as just a mere Christmas carol. But when you sing this, you are proclaiming the gospel. 
the good news which is for all people. What a wonderful hymn that is. Now we do need to take a moment to look at what Luke meant when he wrote about his peace, saying that it was among those with whom God is pleased. Now we need to be real. God is not pleased with all of mankind. Mankind is full of wickedness. And don't make the mistake of thinking that God is happy with what's gone on on this earth. It is sinful. It causes his wrath. It brings a curse. Understand that this peace that God brings, it comes at his good pleasure. It is his choice. It is his determination. It is not because of man. It is not because of something we do. It is not something innately good inside of us. It comes to those to whom he has chosen to reveal it. That night he chose to reveal it to the shepherds. As we taught you many times from this pulpit, there is no righteousness of our own that merits God's pleasure. Rather, it is God who chooses on whom he will shower his blessings. His peace is given to whom he pleases to give it. So peace on earth among those with whom he is pleased, whom he is pleased to give it to. Now really let this sink in for a minute. The angels were declaring the advent of your salvation. Peace on earth among those with whom he is pleased. That Christmas morning over 2,000 years ago, the angels announced the advent of your salvation right then. If you're saved, this is a reason to rejoice. God was pleased to save you. All of this I titled as the report of the good news. We see here the report from the angels. But now I want to turn to looking at the response to the good news because there is a response. Let's look at verses 15 through 17. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They go away, the angels leave, the shepherds start talking among themselves. And they determined to go to Bethlehem to check it out. They didn't just sit there and go, wow, that was nice. Nice show. What, what do you think? Yeah, you better catch those sheep over there. And notice that they said what the Lord has made known to us. The credit for the revelation is given to God. It's not something they discovered for themselves. The angels may have proclaimed it, but it came from God himself. We can do nothing on our own. We don't suddenly stumble into understanding about God. We don't understand the gospel apart from God and his spirit. Paul tells us that the gospel is veiled to those who are perishing. And he writes that in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. And later on he says, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And recall that when Peter acknowledged Jesus as the Christ, 
Jesus told him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Our understanding of the gospel, the revelation of the gospel, on that first Christmas morning, to today in December 20th, 2015 and beyond, this revelation is made by God. And what did the shepherds do? Well, in verse 16, it says they went with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. They didn't delay. They quickly made their way to Bethlehem. They went in haste. See, they were on a mission. They earnestly sought what God had told them about. And they found what they were looking for. They found this baby lying in the manger, just as they had been told. How about you? Do you earnestly seek what God has to tell you? It's in our Bibles. Today we have the word of God. Are you like the shepherds? Do you earnestly seek what God is saying? Now verse 17 tells us that when they saw Jesus in the manger, they went around telling people. It says, and when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. This was good news. And it was good news, too good to keep to themselves. So here we see the shepherds evangelizing. We have first evangelization going on Christmas morning. Right after they see Jesus, they're evangelizing. and telling them, let's tell you about this baby here. This is what happens when Christ changes lives. We want to share the good news with others. And so I ask you, how are you sharing the good news of the gospel with others this Christmas season? How are you telling them about this baby that they hear so much about, that they sing about, that they give gifts in, in recognition of, of the gifts of the, of the Magi? And everyone who heard was in wonder and amazement, we're told. And this is in verse 18. They wondered what was being told them. Now, it doesn't mean that everyone who heard the gospel believed it. See, there's many who think about this, but all they do is wonder. Too many times, the only response to the gospel is to wonder with curiosity. Sometimes people even go to church, even study the scriptures to find out what's in them, but without committing to Christ. They have a head knowledge, but that's all that they have. In Romans, Paul tells us that we must believe with our hearts. We need to have both head knowledge and we need to have belief. Now in verse 19 we see, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. She recalled what the angel Gabriel had told her about the baby in her womb. How have you come to treasure what God has told you in his word? For the past few months, we've been reading passages from Psalm 119 on Sunday mornings. The whole psalm, all of Psalm 119, is about how precious the word of God is. Is it precious to you? And I'll ask you even now, will you commit to reading it in 2016? We have some reading plans out on the credenza. There's some you can download. Is God's word precious, and will you read it? And then we look at verse 20. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. See, this is the result of the good news. 
We had the report of the good news, the response to the good news, and the result of the good news. Shepherds go back to their flocks. They go back to where they're, they're, they came from, what they're doing. But as they did so, they glorified and they praised God. All this happened that night to the glory of God. There are three times in this passage where you see the word glory. The glory of the Lord shone around the shepherds. The angel said glory to God in the highest. And now the shepherds are glorifying God. In 1 Corinthians, we're told to glorify God. Remember when Pastor Ron taught us from Ephesians 1. And we looked at, and we look at that real quick, Ephesians chapter 1. Just look at it, um, verses 1 through 11 real quick. And listen for the words glory. I'm sorry, 11 through 14. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. We know that every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The angels gave God the glory, the shepherds gave God the glory, and we're to give God the glory. So what does this all mean to us? It's a great story, but how do we apply it to our lives? If today you are saved... If your faith is in Jesus Christ, you have God's peace in all that it implies. Like the shepherds, share the good news with those around you. Praise God and glorify him for what he has done. Like Mary, treasure these things in your heart and ponder all that he has said and done. But I want to take just a moment to speak to those of you who aren't saved. This peace on earth that Luke writes about comes only to those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ. If you have not trusted Jesus and him alone for your salvation, if you've not made him Lord of your life, there is no peace for you. Not now, not ever. And I urge you not to go another day, another hour, another minute without placing your faith in Christ. Christmas is a season of giving and receiving gifts. God has given you the greatest gift of all. The question I have for you is, will you receive it? Now, if you have any questions or you want to talk more, I'm available now during the next week at the church office. Don't wait. Please come talk to one of us. We would love to share with you the gift of God in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we glorify you. Lord, as the shepherds did, as the angels did, Father, we too want to give you the glory for your grace, for your love, for your mercy, for sending your son to die on the cross for us, that we could have peace with you, no longer enemies of God, but reconciled to God through the blood of Jesus Christ, through his cross, the greatest gift of all. Father, I pray for all of us that as we sing these songs, as we celebrate the season, we don't forget 
that on that night, the angels announced the advent of our salvation, Father. Let us always praise you. Let us always rejoice. Let us always take comfort. In all this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.